welcome to the Writing Block Indie Writer Podcast. I'm Carrie Dubiel, and I'm here with Rachel Persephone and Gio Finocaro. We are going to be talking about the cover design process today. So G.A. is one of our Writing Block authors. You may be familiar with his works that we've published, The Nightmares, the second edition, and Grace Falls. And Rachel, you've done the covers for both of those books, correct? For both of them. Wonderful. Both so, of oh, them. There you are. I'll take a I'll take a screenshot. Yay, that will go up on the Instagram page. Awesome. So I am so interested, Rachel. Um, you know, obviously I'm GA's editor, so I'm very invested in his work. I love the story. And Rachel, I think that your artwork adds a great dimension to both of those books that we've published so far. And of course, I have read GA's new book and edited it. It's called The Raptor, First Book of Cataclysm, and it will be out. By the time you listen to this, it will be out already. We're recording it prior to publication, but it will be out on July 27th. So I'm really excited. And so I wanted to invite both of you to be on the podcast. Um, Rachel is, as I mentioned, a cover artist and a fantasy artist. And um, GA is the fantasy writer. (laughs) So I thought we could just talk about kind of how this kind of a project comes together. GA, why don't I first ask you to tell the readers about this book and then the Cataclysm series because this will be kind of new to readers, although it does have some connection with the other books. Yeah. um, Wow. To get into any of this question, I actually have to go back about 26 years. Uh, That's when I initially had the idea for this story. I was still in high school. I just remember uh, all the different things that I was inspired by at the time. I mean, you know, the the 90s were, I think, rife with all kinds of really interesting worlds and things. And I was a child of the 80s, too. So, I mean, I had all that going for me. And I just remember sitting there and thinking about this, you know, this this number, this 13 and, and, you know, all these people, all these things, these monsters ganging up on this one guy and and, you know, and what this guy would do for these, you know, for uh, this one person that meant the world to him and what that meant. And through time, it definitely morphed. I mean, you know, to, to say that it's where it is now is where it was back then is completely not true. So, uh, you know, over time, I kind of like kept adding to it, kept adding to it. And then, you know, initially upon publishing, in fact, I've been working on this actual, the actual book part since probably for the last 14 years. So I finally got to a point where, you know, I was like, all right, well, it's, it's too much for one book. It needs to be like four, (laughs) you know, so I, I spread it out and then started plotting it from there and then hacking to pieces, the bits that I liked and got, you know, into the bits that I, you know, I uh, wanted to build upon. And really, that's that's where it came to. So, um, you know, and I think you did ask about a little bit of a, a, I guess, a preview of what it's about. So I should probably get into that. Um, technically, it, it's it's uh, a very um, epic story. It's about Tony Oscuro. Uh, uh, he is just this down on his luck uh, guy who really went through some pretty traumatic things. Um, he lost the love of his life. And 
in doing so, he blamed himself and went through quite a bit of uh, therapy and things. And here he is now six years later. And, you know, he is still dealing with this on an everyday basis. And he has these terrible dreams. And these dreams kind of lead him uh, through this process of getting to this point in this in this dream world where he he sees her dead in front of him and uh the trauma of that just kind of builds and builds until he pretty much has a a crack in his own psyche and and kind of uh goes out for the night on the town with his uh his best friend and weird things start happening and and then you find out he's part of this larger ordeal this you know, these 13 beings, these 13 mythological gods that have a reason to come after him. And he does not know why. And all he knows is that it's somehow tied into his dreams and tied into this girl that he lost years ago. And, you know, what that means, he doesn't know yet. And so he's just trying to survive, really get through a single night at, at one point in time and and just get out the other side and then kind of reestablish what is he having a psychotic breakdown? Is he not? And what that means. And, and it's a really... Um, like, you know, I, I try to build in a lot of humor and I try to build in a lot of, you know, genuine, uh, you know, um, genuine heartache and things like that. It also dives into how he even met Jacinda, the the woman that, that's gone and and what that love story was of the two of them meeting and how they fell in love and, and, and ultimately what happened at the end. So. So, yeah, I think that gives a, a pretty good <laughs> summary, if, if not a little verbose, but a, a little summary of, of what the, is in store for those people that want to pick up the Raptor. Yeah, it's it's so many different things. It's so atmospheric and it's got a lot of mythology in it from many different traditions and cultures. You'll see like all these little Easter eggs if you're familiar with any sort of folk tales or fables and um it just like it's what i liked about it at least the first book you know i've also read the second book so i you know i hope i don't accidentally spoil anything but it really because it becomes very epic like the first book is more like introducing you to tony and um his world but there is a lot of action and there's a lot of like you know this normal guy you first think he's this normal guy and then after you know you start to realize that there's been all this stuff in his past all along but he just never really noticed it and so it's just interesting there's a lot of layers there's a lot of stuff so even though it is long you can get really absorbed in it and that's what i love about it so. and i think that's you know when you're talking about books that dive into fantasy like this if it's short I've always felt that you just don't get enough of the character. You don't get enough of who they are. You really have to walk a mile in their shoes. And so the toughest part of that is making that interesting, you know, making the uninteresting, you know, it, it very interesting to the reader to make sure that, that it's not just all fantasy all the time. It's this is this person's life and this is what they went through to get to the point that they're at right now for you to enjoy all the fantastic and the crazy stuff that they're going through as well. For sure. Well, Rachel, how did you, how did, well, I want to ask you a ton of stuff about your background and your art, of course, but how did the two of you first connect? How did you meet each oh, other? 
Yeah, that that's an. Uh, in fact, if you don't, I, if you don't mind, I I want to start that story because. Yeah, <laughs> I I'd very part. interesting to because it's been so long since we reminisced. Yeah. I'd be very interested in hearing again from your point of view. Yeah, I so I used to back before the nightmares came out. So I knew I was going down this path as a writer, and I knew that I needed to find artists because the the artists that I had in my life, and I and I should disclose. I mean, I I went to art school. I have an art degree. I you know I've been a creative director and everything. But here I am writing, and uh, you know, for me, I needed to find talent that was way above and beyond me. Uh, you know, I knew I was no longer an illustrator anymore. I, I needed to find somebody who could just, you know, really knock home something professional. But I also wanted some to find somebody who wasn't too big for themselves, you know, like somebody who is just like, you know, really down to earth and everything. And I remember I was going through a uh, it was a local comic book convention and I was walking through and and there's Rachel just very, un, you know, very, very polite, wouldn't even, she wouldn't shout at you or like, you know, be very, uh, she wasn't one of those people like, hey, look at my work. Hey, look at my work. It was like, it was like, please look at my work. Very polite, very, very good posture and everything. And I just remember her sitting there and I was like, hey, I'll go talk to her. And then I was like, wow, her work is really good. And I recognized, I was like, you know what? I need to get her information because I knew that at some point in time, very shortly thereafter, I was going to need an artist and, you know, I figured, you know, Hey, you know, I might as well in my backyard right here in, in the city of Philadelphia, that there was a, an artist that I think could, had a lot of the similar interest and the, and, you know, also the look and feel that I was going for. So from my perspective, that's what it is. I'll, I'll tag it off to Rachel here on, on her end. Yeah, that was in, I think it was 2015. It might've been 2014, but I think it was, it was one of those two years. It was a while ago now. Um, and yeah, that convention was my very first like public. Um, well, it was my first convention I had ever tabled at. So it was really, I guess, my first public um, showing and marketing of myself um, and my work as a professional artist post-college. And so it was very exciting. Um, it to have an author come up and be interested, see something in my my work and be interested in it, especially since he, I'm thinking about, I think Gino and I work very well together for a number of reasons, but I remember even back then he started, he listed, I don't remember specifically what, but I remember Gino had listed the things he liked about my work and how he thought they could relate to what he's working on. And um, yeah, it, like all the things you were saying was hitting all the right notes of the things that interested me and, you know, my work spoke to him. Uh, so I, I think it's been a, a very easy fit working together for that alone. Um, but it was very exciting. And of course, I'm, I'm always a person that I don't like, especially especially now with, you know, some years of experience under my belt. I, I don't get excited about anything until you know there's a contract and an invoice and you know because until there's money on the table you know it's not on the table so i i you know even though it was very exciting i, I took it with a grain of salt so when he did approach me again you know afterwards and he was very serious about wanting to work with me you know that was very exciting because um working with gino on the nightmares was my first um you know non-college assignment published book cover work um, it was very cool. I think there was some some learning curve for both of us along the way. Um, we actually, the published cover is the second cover 
that was worked on for it. Um, super love the first cover that was I was working on for it, but we both agreed after some time, you know, he had worked on his book some more. It had changed the, we both had just learned a lot and our, our each of our respective work had grown in the process. Um, yeah. In fact, you can actually find that uh, the other cover in the back of the nightmares when you flip to the back, it's, it's actually there. I, I couldn't bear to not use it after all that time. Like, you know, cause we did spend a lot of time working on that, going back and forth and refining it. And it's great work. It just didn't feel like the right cover in the moment when we finally got to the arrival point where it was time. And it's only half of it too. That was a wraparound. And I think the, the image as a whole was, it was, it was really cool. It just wasn't, wasn't the right fit. And when we both sat down and talked about it, we both realized that. Um, so yeah, that was my, both of our first uh, published book, which has also been another really cool thing that I love about working with Gino is that we both found each other at, you know, around the first uh, at similar points in our, in our lives, you know, in our professional published creative journeys. And so both of us have grown Gino with his writing, myself with my art. And now we have a couple, you know, soon to be three published books um, that we've worked on together. Uh, and both the writings, the writings improved, my arts improved, our process is pretty streamlined now. And, and it's also having done a few book covers for Gino, maybe you'll agree with me on this, Gino, but this time around, it's like, I know what Gino wants. <laughs> I know what Gino <laughs> likes. So I knew I pretty much, I, I, he, he always surprises me and I always surprise him, you know, with, with, with things, uh, especially when it's not face-to-face -face reactions, you know, things, some things are lost, you know, in text, but um, it's, it's pretty easy to anticipate at least most of the general reaction that I think we're going to have about things. That's funny. I think that we have, you know, it's almost similar to the publishing process with writing block. I've, been an editor you know I've done editing for a long time so that part of it was you know is simple not simple but it's it's in me you know like it's that that part of working with authors works except when an author is high maintenance which you are not um, but, <laughs> um, <Yeah>. <laughs> most of the time that works out really well but the publishing process itself is so different and every time we put out a new book i something different weird happens so at least with um the books in the scales series we've we've kind of got our rhythm going i think so this time i think we'll be easier yeah yeah, and you know, to to pick up just a little bit on 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 what Rachel was saying about my sweet spot and everything, I I I didn't want I didn't want to go missing on that. Like, uh, you know, one of the key things that she and I had talked about was that my my love for old, uh, you know, eighties book horror book and VHS uh, covers. They were the coolest covers that you would ever come across. It was always like something weird and gory, but also what I really wanted, and I think I said this exactly, was that I loved, I wanted it to be somewhere across between that 
what the uh i forget what the artist name that did the harry potter covers um you know but something like that but also with a touch of something el more elegant more fantasy like in neil gaiman and all three of those and if you really think about it all three of those rachel has that down exactly like those three elements kind of mixed together equals exactly what the work you know ends up becoming and uh you know i i it never ceases to amaze me when i when I do get that first, you know, look back, it's always shocking. It's always like, okay, this is somebody's interpretation of what was in my head. And that initial, it, it is such a shock that I have to look at it for a while. And when I look at it for a while, I, I typically go and zoom in and then I look at it and then I zoom in a little more and then I look at it. And one of the great things about Rachel's work is that the further you zoom in, the more details you see. And that even like thrills me even more. I'm like, Oh, look over here. There's that over here. Oh, look over here. And like, I just get lost in it. And then by the time it's come back and it, it's so funny because now that we've been going through all this with, with COVID and everything, like, you know, my response time has been super slow. So she'll send that to me around noon and I can't get back to her around eight. And I can just tell, like, I know she's dying inside to hear my response <laughs> and I can't get to it. So Aww. it's like, I'm trying to get to it, trying to get to it. And then I finally get to it. And I'm just amazed. And, and it, it's been a really great, like I said, working relationship. And I think we, understand each other well enough now also not just about our taste but also i think are both of our experiences being um being that i have an art background you know obviously you know she's got an even a higher art background than i do and just being able to talk on that level but also just the you know to be fans of each other's work i think plays into it quite a bit too rachel maybe now would be a good time for us to tell you a little bit like so what made you want to become an artist like do you also went to art school, I'm guessing. Yeah. Because <laughs> you are very good. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, okay, a little bit of a deep dive then. Um, so, I, you know, I, I could say the same thing I think almost every artist would say is that I've always been drawing, creatively inclined. Uh, my mom pushed me to work on my, my craft and take it seriously as a skill more than I did. I mean, it was like a, she'd make me sit at the table and and work on a still life of a bowl of fruit. And I used to, you know, I didn't want to do that when I was a teenager. I was like, why are you, why are you making me do this? Um, and of course, now I'm, I'm so thankful that she was so encouraging and supportive of it because a lot of people, you know, don't take the craft seriously as, a, as an occupation, especially. Um, and she always saw that uh, for me before I did. So thankfully, you know, I, I grew up in a very encouraging, um, creative family. And I, but I, I even then, I, you know, I was in a small town and um, there's not, you're not as exposed to art careers or art opportunities uh, when you are coming from a small farming town, even if the community is, you know, very supportive and encouraging, and which it was. Um, and so I, I had no idea that this was a thing that I could do as a career with my life uh, until I got a brochure in the mail. Uh, I was a junior in high school at the time, and I got this brochure in the mail for a summer art um, program, a college program at Moore College of Art and Design in Philadelphia. It was like days before the deadline. And... We had to, I had to scrape up a portfolio. I had to scrape up recommendations. And of course we had to scrape up the money. I, you know, my mom pretty much 
pulled off a miracle with that one. Anyway, I went to, I, I got in and I went to this art program uh, for the summer and it was great, but I also didn't really like it, to be honest. I was um, part of like the fine arts um, portion of their program and that wasn't, even if I liked some of the activities, it wasn't really for me. And then one of the professors at that college, Richard Harrington, who still teaches there, he showed me the illustration major, like classrooms in the hallway with all of that work. And you know, the, the assignments are, aside from, you know, you have excellent life drawing and still lifes, you know, you have all of that really technical ability stuff there, but you also have fantastical elements. You have book cover assignments, comic assignments, pinups, like all this stuff, concept art on the walls. And my, my brain, just like all <laughs> the light bulbs were going off in my brain. I was like, oh, this, I love this kind of art. This is the kind of art I want to do. You know, I'm not, um, even though I have an appreciation of all these different types of art now, you know, I, I wasn't interested in abstract art or mm. um, whatever we were doing in that summer program. I wasn't interested in it. But I knew in that moment, um, oh, you know, the, first of all, this I, I had discovered art school. I didn't know that was a thing. I had discovered art careers. I didn't know that was a thing, even though it's so obvious to me now. Um, and that once that light switch had been, you know, turned on, there was no going back for me. So instead of going to school for psychology, like I was originally planning, I put all my eggs in one basket and I ended up going to that same college, uh, more College of Art and Design in Philadelphia to get my BFA in illustration. I graduated in 2014. And that whole time, really, I, I think I always knew I wanted to work um, in publishing book covers, comic covers, and I'm not just limited to working on, on cover art, but it's certainly a skill that came to me more naturally. Uh, maybe being such a big bookworm uh, all my life contributed to that. But, uh, you know, even my senior thesis in college was a series of, of book covers um, inspired by the seven deadly sins. I had a cover for each sin and I had actually printed out like these wraparound book covers. I wrapped them around sketchbooks to display. It was like, so, you know, that was, that was always, I guess there, it just it took like it being pointed out, like put in front of my face that this is something that I could do to push me towards it. And yeah, I mean, I graduated and met Gino. And now, you know, the past few years, I've had at least one thing come out with my art on its cover um, or in the book. I've been a part of, you know, anthologies. I've done interior illustrations, um, a lot of uh, well, mostly cover work. Um, you know, comics, books, um, currently working on a, an album cover for a music composer, which is really fun. Um, but, and aside from my own personal, you know, art, I still continue to work on, on my own art, um, you know, fine art. I'd like to, to move into the gallery space eventually at some point. Um, so there's those those two sides of, of me as an artist, you know, there's the one side where I'm an independent artist who creates empowering fantasy art that encourages the viewer to confidently explore their own stories. And then very similarly, I take that attitude um, into freelance work when I create, uh, hopefully, you know, just as personal empowering illustrations for book covers and, and anywhere good stories are to be told. Really, I don't want to pigeonhole myself as just a cover artist, but mm -hmm. in truth, that that is that is where I, I, I sit most I, naturally. I love that. That's that's awesome. I think that 
the best cover artists are those who understand the writing process. I, when I worked with my artist for my book, How to Remember, she, she's a friend of mine from, she actually worked with me at the library years and years ago, and she went to school for illustration and design. And she talked to me about what the book was about. And we talked about the concept, like, she gave me like six different concepts that were like rough sketches before we even went into anything further. So I know that I saw some of those when the two of you were starting the process out. So is that kind of where you start, you talk first about the book or? Yeah. Yeah. In fact, uh, you know, to, to that point, I mean, one of the cool things that we did, uh, Rachel, and you can speak a little bit more to this actually was a questionnaire. I mean, Rachel did read the book. So, I mean, that's, that was part of it. And we did kind of talk about that, like whether or not that was necessary. Um, I kind of felt that it was, I even provided a soundtrack. <laughs> like I put together music that I thought would be a good mood, uh, to kind of set to that. But, um, to that point, Rachel, I mean, you put together that really great questionnaire. I don't know if you want to talk a little bit more about that and where that came from. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I'm always I'm always doing research into, you know, better practices, um, both personal and, and for business and for art. And one of the things I recently stumbled upon on my favorite um, art blog, Muddy Colors, was a blog written by a. Um, it was a, a guest contributor named Delilah Dawson. She is also um, someone with an art background, Gino, who moved into the writing space. So she's an author. And so it was from an author's perspective on um, you know, things that she wishes uh, could be communicated between artist and, and author when working on a book cover, which isn't always possible, especially when it's for a, a larger um, publisher you know there's not always a line of communication between the artist and the author but in any case when there can be such as this uh, she wrote about uh, a, a series of questions that would be good for artists to ask authors so that authors can have some input but also without being too restricting of the artist because um, one thing that I've noticed about independent authors almost across the board is that since it is so personal to independent authors and especially since a lot of them are self-published and with working with their own budgets um they it's like it's like it's their baby you know and a lot of authors or creatives want you know control over every detail or they want to see every single detail exactly as they imagine or wrote about it everything in the kitchen sink on the cover and that's not necessarily what works best for cover art. I have this phrase I like to say, I, I may have told you before Gino, is that um, the the pages inside the book tell the story, but the book cover is supposed to sell the story. Um, so it's a little bit a little bit of a different ball game and that illustration, it, it's um, cover art, you know, it, it serves a very specific purpose and should be designed and thought of as such. So, this questionnaire, which I, I mostly used um, all the questions that came from this, this blog post, although I did modify it a little bit, you know, there are things like, what would you like to see on the cover? What would you like to see not on the cover? Um, you know, what are three specific details, only three, three specific details that you want to see, you know, uh, that are important to show for the main character. 
Uh, and that, you know, most importantly, you know, what is, what is the core of the book? You know, give me like the one sentence, maybe two, that really just brings home the essence of the story and, and what's most important to convey. Um, because I feel my role as a cover artist, like I said, I'm not, I'm not directly telling the story, but I am trying to, I am trying to illustrate the mood of it. So people can look at it and kind of, you know, be curious. But when they look at it, they know what genre it is. You know, they know what kind of story generally it is without giving away, obviously, too much. Um, but that that's the most important thing for me uh, as a cover artist, I feel, is to illustrate the core of it in a, in a very alluring, appealing kind of like, hmm, what's that book on the shelf? I'm going to pick that up and, and look at it and hopefully buy it and read it kind of way. Uh, and so these questions allow for the author to have a voice in the process and to say what is most important to them. Uh, and, and it gives, by limiting it, limiting it to, you know, three details or whatever, it also gives the artist room to do what they do best and sort of in, in, interpret for the purposes of the cover and have a little bit of their own voice in the matter too. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. We had, now that you mentioned that questionnaire, I did do one for my other cover artist, who's Caitlin Platt, who is actually a Writing Block member, and she writes and does her own covers, which I am like totally in awe of that talent. I edited her second book, and I'm just like, wow. <laughs> I can't even imagine. Like, I struggle with writing. I can't even imagine <laughs> having both of those skill sets. <laughs> It gives you like, and, and to that point, I, you know, if, even if I had that ability, I think that I would still go with uh, having an artist and everything, because to me, it almost takes, like I said, I think there, there's an invaluable lesson there about having somebody take your work and interpret it for you, because then you see it's a mirror. It's a reflection of, of what the work is. It's a little bit out of your, out of your own bubble, if you will, because I, I do think that a lot of times uh, when we write, we write in a vacuum. And, you know, even when we do get a lot of people to read our work and give us the, their feedback, if it's not somebody who's completely outside of that bubble, you know, they're, they're probably going to tell us a lot of what we already want to hear, you know. And so I think from this perspective, this is like a whole different set of you know, this is my my visual bubble being, you know, burst, you know, basically, you know, the, the Rachel could give me that accurate feedback of what it is that how she saw it and how she saw the characters and 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 the different moods that came out of it. That It's her interpretation, which I think makes me inspired even to go further. Like and that's that's the other thing, too. I think that if, it, if you really get a good symbiotic relationship with the with your uh, cover artist, that you can almost spurn each other on a little bit. Like, it's like, you know, I'm going to write this really great thing to see your great visuals. And then your great visuals are going to really inspire me to keep going. And I think that's sort of, you know, what, what we've developed here is that, you know, that's, that's the kind of relationship. And I don't plan to go to anybody else, you know, for any of my covers as, as, as long as I'm writing, I don't plan to, to go anywhere else. I think I, I really want to have it so that if somebody looks at the whole thing all together on, on a table, it all looks like it goes together. I appreciate you, Gino. Super <laughs> happy, that. super happy that you are happy with your covers. Obviously, that's that's very important. That's awesome. Absolutely. So I would, you know, I felt privileged to be part of that conversation when I saw the first sketches, and it was really hard to say which one I liked the best. So it seemed like there were specific details about the raptor that you focused on. 
and maybe the both of you could talk about that and how did you how did you go from those concept sketches to the one that was the final I know there was even some more iterations in between that yeah that was that was tough I mean I I remember when I first looked at that I was like I like one I like two I like three but I also like four like I know that there were four and I just kept going back and forth looking at each one until I got some type of feeling and I know that we, we, you know, I think I definitely like number two. I, Rachel, I know you love number two as well, even though that was not the one we ended up going with, only because I think we kind of felt like if it's done as a cover, it may, it like, there was like some, some conflict. I don't remember what the conflict was necessarily about what we felt on that one. I think it would work really well for a future cover, but I felt for this one, it didn't really hit exactly what we wanted. Yeah, each each thumbnail. I mean, I I feel each thumbnail shows a different aspect of the book. I mean, they they're all they all show similar, you know, moods and feelings. Um definitely three out of the four show some of that that internal struggle, you know, there's like an element of heartache or in three out of the four and, and then the fourth one which well it's the third one but the one that we also really really liked that we were especially torn between was the very commercial looking one that felt like it it could stand out and work on a shelf like on any contemporary book today um, but then that was one of the reasons why you had moved away from it because storytelling specifically um, in your book covers has been very important to you and that one told that one was less about the story and more about an alluring image using those three details that you had specified uh, that were important to show on the cover. Um, was that the one with the key? Yeah, yeah. the one with that the key. That was the one I liked the best. <laughs> yeah, and I but... think that like we, I think universally we kind of felt that that was probably the strongest one. But when we looked back at it, and the one key thing was, I kept saying to myself, I want all my book covers to look like they go together. And that one would have felt like it stood out, uh, you know, in, in, in like as in an oddball amongst the, the rest. And I think symbolically, you know, like, it, yeah, it was exactly what we wanted. But I think to, to Rachel's point, what we ended up going with, what felt more like what the storytelling, the visual storytelling that you're going to get a glimpse into exactly what you're going to get when you open this cover. And what you have right now is you know, a man sitting on a on a tombstone in the middle of a cemetery, you know, looking like, you know, he just got the crap beat out of him, uh, you know, and he's really down on his luck. And, you know, around his shoulder is this flaming, you know, ghost of of his past, the, the woman he loved. And, and, you know, and to me, that is so symbolic of, of what this story is, even to the point where I was like, you know, it's almost like she's she's the weight on his shoulders, bringing him down and like you know so there was so much they, there's a difference between in your face symbolism which the key was like it was a big giant key flaming key on the on the cover and the symbolism of just the subtlety of the the character actors they're on that page and to me i think it was the 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 uh the latter that was really the most heavy hitting for me that that's what i really wanted but 
but as far as the sim- symbolism that we were going for, I know we we talked about the key. I think the key was the biggest one, and the key plays just a it's like a, a whole other character in the in the set of novels, and you won't even know exactly what the key is until quite late. In, in the whole process, because once you get the information about what the key is, that's not really what the key is. Wait for book three and four for that. But <laughs> like, you know, just a little foreshadowing there. Um, but as far as like uh, we also what talked about the scar, I think, was the other one, mm-hmm. the scar on Tony's face. The crescent scar and the mm-hmm. key. Uh, and you wanted some element of Jacinda. Yeah. Which that one did. That was the only one of the three that didn't have the element of Jacinda in it. Yeah. It yeah, was the most right. commercial okay. yeah, it was the most commercial one. It was the most commercially appealing visually, but it it was the one with the least amount of I guess like heart in it, like the heart yeah. of the story, you know? That one that one was selling the book, but you really like a balance yeah. between telling and selling on the covers, which is great because you know, then I have more fun painting it that way too. Yeah. And you know what the funny thing is I kept going back as we were as we were going through it. There's a line that Tony uses over and over again. He keeps going, he's talking to his therapist and he keeps saying, Doc, this ain't a love story. And but yet he he knows full well this is a love story. <laughs> it is a love story that's happening, you know, uh that leads up to everything that that transpires in his life. And and without it, like, you know, yeah, it ended sadly, but it, it still was a love story and to me, if she wasn't part of it, it would have taken, to your point, the heart rate out of the cover. It, it just wouldn't have been the same. And you also, like you mentioned earlier in your writing, um, or so maybe Carrie, you mentioned it. One of you mentioned how there's a lot of Easter eggs in your mm-hmm. storytelling and with, you know, folklore and all that, which, you know, is right up my alley. You know, my work's heavily inspired by mythology, fairy tales, folklore, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, in those types of covers that you typically choose for me to work on, it's the ones that give me the most opportunity to put in, you know, all the Easter eggs that I also enjoy putting in my work. Like you said, you know, the the more you look at it, the more little details you notice. And the further a reader gets in the book, the more things they will recognize or relate to on the cover. So I think that's another thing that both Gino and I like in in our respective works um and the book as a whole is something that catch your eye at the get-go um you know be interested in the story but the more so you're interested in the image interested in the story from the get-go but then the more you dig into it um the more understanding you have about what it is you're actually looking at what it is you're actually reading mm-hmm. that was also the that was like the magic too. If you really look back on uh, the covers that I even mentioned, like, you know, when you look back at the Harry Potter covers, the, the original runs, they were so amazing. Like you would look at it and be like, okay, where in the book am I when I'm, when I'm looking at this? Like you would, I would play that game all the time. I would look at it and say, okay, this, you know, did I just read that part? You know? And I kind of go back and kind of double check. And I was always mystified by that, especially like, I think it was Half-Blood Prince or or one of the other later ones that I was constantly looking at that cover, trying to make that connection. And I feel like these covers, even with Grace Falls and with, with the Nightmares, you're constantly like, am I there in the store yet? You know, like you're constantly saying that. And and it's a tease. It's always a tease as to where they are in the story and what, what part you're reading. And this book in particular of yours, uh, it, it, it really does unfold the further you get into it it's 
what you've done and how you've written it. I don't, I can't give anything away, but I, well, you already know, I love what you've done in the Raptor. So I've much. always, I've always felt that writing is sort of like a, a drum roll. It starts off like slow, but it still has a beat. It still has a cadence to it. And then I just wanted to hit like somebody's just rolling over it, you know, you know, the just tapping on the drums as, as fast as they can be to kind of give you details and everything and kind of make you not want to put it down. And what I found actually to be the biggest compliment, actually, and the two of you both said the exact same thing. And that's how I know it is. You both said I got to a certain point and I had to finish it. It just kept going. And you both said that right about the same place. So to me, like that's the biggest compliment right there. And I, I actually look forward to what people think when they start reading even in the second book, because the second book, I think, has the similar similar feel where you get to a point, you're just like, whoa, 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 whoa. And then it just keeps rolling, rolling, rolling. And uh, now now the magic act is to keep doing it for the third book and, and the fourth. So if I can do that, then I pulled off something, I think, uh, pretty special. I think I think you have. Yeah, when stuff hits the fan in your books, Gino, the stuff hits the fan. <laughs> like you just take off, and then it's like you're on this roller coaster. There's no getting off now. Yeah, Omega specifically, I'm looking forward to editing it because when I read Raptor and then when I edited it, it was two different, very different experiences. When the, when I read it, it was. I need to get I need to get the story. I need to know what's going to happen. And then when I edited it, it was getting all of those little details, figuring out where all those little Easter eggs were, you know, in place. So, um, but I think, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's gonna be it's gonna be fun. And you know, for people who, uh, and Car, you were actually one of the people that actually got to experience the nightmares recently. And there is an and there is a huge Easter egg in the nightmares that leads directly to this. There's one line that from Gene that pretty much tells you everything you need to know about all these stories and everything. And it's right there in the middle of it. And I I hit it knowing I was going to get to this years later. So I, I definitely pre-planned uh, pre it out. But even if you read, I, I have said going into this, reading Grace Falls is kind of like your your uh you know your gateway into this world because then it takes you that much further because all the characters from Grace Falls do at some point in time make an appearance in this in this series so they may not appear right now mm. but by the time you get to the very end of uh of the entire cataclysm series it will be that every single character is always like has appeared in some regard so I do like mixing everything in and throwing those little, little Easter eggs and, you know, everything is meticulously planned. But, you know, part of that also is that I've been doing this, writing this for 14 years. So when you have that much time, you know, and you spend that much time on it, you, you can really, you know, prop up a lot of these smaller little details. But yeah, um, no, trust me, I, I, I appreciate all the kind words. And I hope that the audience, uh, the would-be audience that's out there, hopefully they feel the same way. I hope so. Yeah, hope so, too. And talk about stuff hitting the fan and Easter eggs and all this. Go, people, listeners, go read Mum, his short story in, in in Grace Falls. That that story, I could not put that down. And that, yeah, that was the first thing that I read of yours, and I, yeah, that was that was definitely like, wow, this guy's got some some talent, like, and some story, like. 
that's what I think I'm most envious of is your natural ability to know what should happen when I get like when I'm being edited people are always like that's so unrealistic that would never happen like maybe it's because I write contemporary and not fantasy like maybe I need to start writing fantasy so that people don't go that's stupid (laughs) (laughs) my stories but plot is tough and I think the fact that you've talked about it, or you've thought about it for 14 years and 26 years, really, I mean, that, that says a lot, but it is, it is cool. You know, like when you read even the short story that's in the passageways anthology that we did bogey, um, there are things in Raptor that I was like, Oh, I remember this uh, or in the nightmares. Oh, I remember this, you know? So it's just some, like some really cool stuff. Gino's um, really building a fleshed out universe. Yeah. I I really want to make those people. I, there's a, a coworker of mine. She's a really big fan of um, uh, the Stephen King, dark, Ca- uh, dark tower series. And, you know, like she and I have had these conversations and I have never read it, but I am a huge fan of the idea. And I, it's on my to-do. I'll, I'll get yeah, to it eventually. But too. it's like the idea <laughs> so of, yeah. And, and it's like all the intricate web that he kind of spun. And to me, I was just like, yes, please. That's exactly what I want to do. I want to have this intertwined universe that everything touches each other. And and to that point, you know, uh, you know I think the intersection between the written word and art has to, you know that that's part of it like i think you know if you open up any of my books there's always artwork inside symbolism uh you know i made a map for grace falls and you know and things like that and i think like i said from the cover and, and to the very end of the book i wanted it to be an experience that you were definitely you know diving into my world and this is what it is and and i think that you know i remember i was talking to people after the nightmares first came out and i was like so what did you think of the book and they were like oh it was great and then i was like so what did you think about the the interstitials the the little things that i put in there and the, and in the nightmares there's these little interstitials about like you know articles that take place you know like fantastic articles and you know some of them were pretty ridiculous and it was meant to be silly it was meant to be funny you know in in a way and I, they were like, oh, you know, I didn't really get them. And, and I was like, read them again, you know, and like and, and I was trying to push it because like, you know, I'm dropping so many clues. And I think I want people who really appreciate world building to really get in there and start looking at it, because there are things in there that if you're really careful and you really kind of look at it, you're kind of getting what I'm doing three books ahead. So it's it's definitely all part of the experience and, and wanting to take you along on this journey together with me. That's cool. I that was I loved that. I loved those. And like when I showed them to my husband, I was like, look at how cool these are. And he was like, oh, that's neat. Like that those interstitials were what made him actually interested in picking the book up. So if you just flip through a book and you see cool art, um, I don't know. Have what was the name of that book? Plain Bad Heroines. Have you guys heard of Plain Bad Heroines by Emily um, Duncan? no no that that might not be the right name danforth emily duncan's different author emily m danforth and that i listened to her talk that's a traditionally published book but i listened to her talk about how they made that book and it's a doorstopper it's like 800 pages and i love like i loved that book and the illustrations are 
absolutely amazing. And they just add, they, they add that extra dimension that like, if you were to just pick it up, be like, okay, this is, this looks like a cool story. But then when you open it up and you see the drawings and in that book, the, um, the theme was bees, like the bees were a problem in the book and you have to read the book to know why, but <laughs> that, you know, you see it and you see these gorgeous pictures of gardens and, but you know that there's something evil lurking underneath it. Like, it's just, it's just really cool. So I'll mm-hmm. put that in the show notes as another book to look at if you want to see how art and, and writing yeah. come together. And th- one of the, um, I'm even like, uh, I actually have a good friend who actually took my art, our author photo. And she and I have been talking about doing other little kinds of like, uh, you know, photos for interiors in the book. And then we were even talking about even like perhaps even potentially a three-way collaboration where her her photos would go into Rachel and she could do some stuff with it. But uh, ultimately what we've uh, what we've done in the past, you'll actually recognize there's a, a gentleman who's dressed up as a crazy uh, sort of like a crazy um, um, uh, paranormal investigator in, in my books that keeps popping up. That's my good friend, Ed, who luckily posed for this. I I, I was like, hey, you want to be in my book? He's like, yeah. And he's he's an actor on the side. So he, he definitely, you know, gets into all that. So I, I definitely hit up as many people as I can for that type of inspiration to bring these things to life. So whatever I can do, like I said, to get somebody into the work, it's, it's important to me. And, you know, and like I said, there's never any, there's a, a never ending uh, slate right now. Like, I mean, once, once we're done the Omega, I still want to do, uh, there's another book I re- wrote called masked that I'm still kind of looking forward to, to getting that. And that's something where it has to do with superheroes. And I, I've been itching to see Rachel's take on, on super, the superheroes in my world and, and see what, you know, what she comes up with as well. Very yeah, I gotta get a that. move on reading that one too. <laughs> it's okay. I, 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 hey, you know, lockdown got me extra, extra creative yeah. here. Uh, you know? well, I've just been, I've been on a roll with my book, so I'm like, I would really, I'm trying to just get the words down so that I can go back and like do some of my other projects. But I'm just like, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to lose the hot streak. But I definitely, I've read like probably the first sixty pages and. I I kept thinking of it when we did our superhero podcast with Matt, Harry, and Mike Chen a couple weeks ago because they kept talking about superhero stuff. And I was like, oh, Gino would be great on this podcast, <laughs> but the book's not out yet and I haven't even finished yeah. it. So like it was, I will, once the book is out, I will look forward to hearing, you know, your take on, on superheroes. But we are we're actually getting close to our time. This has been a really cool conversation. So I wanted to ask both of you to um, well, I wanted to ask really quick I'll ask really quickly first what your advice would be for authors who want to work with a designer and vice versa. And then um, then I'll ask you to tell the listeners where they can find you. Sure. Rachel, I don't know if you want to go first. Um, speaking to authors, uh, well, maybe maybe I'm a little biased, but I feel I feel strongly that well, anyone, if you want something done and presented well, you know, you should work with people who know you know what they're doing and and are specifically skilled 
in the particular things, especially if you are not. Um, so I would say it is worth it. If you believe in your product, it is worth it to invest in that product. Um, find a an artist whose work you love, whose work you could see representing your own book, your own story, um, and then be prepared to have a decent budget for it and to just know that that money will be well spent because you will want a cover, like I said, that will sell the book. You will want a cover that will convince people to pique their curiosities uh, enough to to want to read the book, especially when on social media, you know, that's a very visual marketing platform. Um, you, you know, when people when people are browsing eBooks or they're looking at Barnes and Noble or the local bookstore on the shelves, the, from little thumbnails to full-size printed books, it's it's the cover image that is going to grip people. People are not perusing book descriptions on BarnesandNoble.com or Kindle, uh, so. You know, I, I, I do think that it's worth it to to truly invest in yourself, in your book, by investing in the art that's going to represent it on the cover of your work. And also, uh, from an artist's perspective, work with your artist. Um, in theory, the artist that you choose is good at what they're doing. Um, if they're good at what they do, they, they have good ideas. That, um, and if you work with someone who is, you know, should be professional, then they will work with you just as much to make sure that your thoughts and, and what you want to be portrayed comes across. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then uh, from my perspective, you know, I, I want to say this almost like a joke, but it's not a joke. But if, if an artist, if you end up finding an artist and they pull out a contract, uh, that is a great sign that they are the level of talent that you're looking for. Uh, the fact that they have their their stuff together enough to actually draw something like that up, a, a contract to make sure that all parties are meeting you know, the expectations. To me, that is a sign, just one, of professionalism. But again, it, it's it's another layer of that is what you need, you know, to find a, an artist, you know, again, it, it's not going to come cheap. You know, they they are, you know, masters of their craft, like you are master, a master of your craft. And I think the respect has to go both ways there. You know, you have to really respect them for their time. And, you know, they're, this is what they do. And, and, you know, you really have to respect that what they can give you back is going to make your book meet that next level of expectation. So it it's definitely about finding somebody like that, but also about finding somebody you know you can work with. Uh, you know, I think that that's, that's key, you know, to have a good rapport, be interested in the same things. If you have a chance to, you know, uh, like I did, to almost feel like, you know, as a, as a friendship, getting to know Rachel and everything like that, like, you know, they – um, to me, that was really important as well. Like, you know, I do, I do consider Rachel a good friend and, you know, that's something that how, you know, I mean, obviously when we met, that wasn't the case, but we, you know, we, we knew that this was a, a journey that, that was something that we both kind of wanted to take together. And, you know, and that I, I felt that she could, like I said, represent my work very well and, you know, and it would help her also get out there to the world, you know, and, and show off what she has. So, I think that, like I said, for the most part, if you're talking about, you know, what an author should look at, it's it's all those things. It's can you work with them? You know, are they the type of person that you want to work with? Are they professional? Do they have, you know, do they present themselves professionally? And again, it's, you know, if the work speaks for itself, all these other things have to fall into place as well. 
Cool. Well, why don't the both of you, especially since we want people to find you, we want people to find uh, Rachel, we want people to commission you for more book covers, and Gino, we want more people to buy your books. <laughs> so tell our listeners where to find you. Um, yeah, I, I guess I'll go. Um, so my portfolio website, my online shop is rachelpersiphone.com. Um, hopefully, maybe we can put that in the show notes or something. I know my, my name is kind of unique. Thank you. Um, yeah, so rachelpersiphone.com. And, and you can find links to my all of my social media pages on there. You can follow me on social media if you're interested in learning more about the behind the scenes of my work, what I do, um, the process, additional information about how I, I create book covers and work with authors to create book covers. I have a Patreon um, that you can subscribe to uh, for monthly updates, uh, looks into my studio, behind the scenes, what I'm working on, and that is patreon.com slash Rachel Persephone. Uh, again, the link is on my website. Uh, and you know, I, my email's on there too. So if, if you're an author and you have any questions about the process or if, you, if you're interested in working with me on a book cover, you know, shoot me an email. And for me, uh, you know, if you're looking for anything that has to do with uh, with it, me and my work, uh, you can look me up at gafino.com. There you can sign up for my newsletter. You can find all my books. You can even get some behind the scenes stuff as to the uh, the scales series and all that, what all that means. Uh, read up a little bit about that. You can also on there get a free audio book that I put together for Quibbles, which is a short story that I did the whole the whole thing. It's like a radio show. So you can get that for free as well. Listen to that. And um, yeah, from there, you can find me on all different types of social accounts uh, all through my website. So definitely check it out. Thanks everyone for listening to the Indie Writer Podcast. We appreciate all of you and we want to thank the indie author and writing block communities for the continued support. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook or at writingblock.com, no K. Remember to subscribe, share, and tell your friends. Thanks everyone and happy writing.